Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Good morning, everyone. Um, it's good to see everyone. Um, maybe before we start, let's just pray. Lord, we, Lord, we want to invite you, Father God, um, to, to come and speak to us this morning, Lord, through your word. Um, Lord, we know that, that your word is alive, Lord, and it is active, Father God, and we know um, that it's not just, it's not just um, words on a page, Lord, but it really carries, Lord, the, the seed, Lord, that can open in, in us, Lord, everlasting life, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that, that you help us, Father God, and guide us through your word this morning. Um, and I pray, Lord, for each and every single person, including myself, Lord, that this word, Lord, will really become a lamp unto our feet, Lord. It will really become a way in which we walk. It will change the way in which we walk, Lord, from today onwards, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, okay, so I, my name is Louis, for those of you who don't know me. <laughs> um, then, um, yeah, so I think there's a slide of me and my family. There we go. Uh, Samson is the newest addition. Um, and so, I mean, this morning, I, uh, before I start with this sermon, I want to tell you a bit of a story. Uh, we're going to sort of come back to the story. But um, it's a story of me and my mother-in-law, uh, which, which I love very much. Um, so we really have a, a good relationship, um, and, and our communication is really good. Um, but there was this one time where our communication was not that great. Um, and, and what ended up happening was Catherine and I, we went on holiday. And before we went, uh, my mother-in-law asked me, do you mind if I cut or trim some branches around these sort of back trees in our backyard so that I can get more sun into my cottage? Um, so I said, that's, that's perfectly fine, not a problem. Um, and I remember coming back from holiday, and I walked through the back door, and there was no trees like nothing it was not trimmed like the trees were trimmed like there was no trees um and and so we sorted that out there was a there was a like i will speak to you in 10 minutes i'm gonna go to my room and like um, right but i'm not sharing the story because uh of my mother-in-law i'm sharing the story about the tree and that uh, we're gonna go, come back to the tree but um we have a bit of a, a, a paradox of a, a scripture we need to tackle today, um, and hence my title is also a paradox within itself. So the title for today is Killing the Dead and Living Alive. I think it's quite cool. It can make a TV video game or something, but um, so Killing the Dead and Living Alive. We're going to get to explaining why do I mean that. Um, so we are in Colossians 3 verse 5 to 10, so if you want to go there in your Bible so long, um, we, we broke new ground last week into Colossians 3, but I'm, I'm super excited for the, the coming chapters specifically because of how practical it becomes from Colossians 3. Like, Paul spends two chapters of Colossians um, to lay the, the theological um, foundation of 
who we are as believers and, and why we are in, in this position. Um, and then chapter 3, he takes quite a practical shift and he says, like, okay, great. Now that you have this understanding, this is how it looks like in reality. Like, this is how it looks for you and I um, to live this out practically. And, um, and he sort of, like, explains, I feel like Colossians 2 um, takes this up quite well. Uh, it says, in him also... You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And, and so this is, this is basically the context on which Paul is now basing Colossians 3 and verse 1 when he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, right? Then this is really important for us to get this. Like another way we can translate that if then is since. Since you have been raised with Christ. Or if this is true of you, that you have been raised with Christ, he says now seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And this is the part that we're going to focus on. So he goes then to and says, put to death, and there's another therefore. So again, that therefore is like, if this is true of you, that you have died to your old self, and you've been raised with Christ, he says, this applies to you. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And this is, this is pretty much where the, the, where the paradox comes in, because Paul spends two chapters to tell us how we've died and how we've come alive to Christ. But then in, in Colossians 3, he says, put to death. And that's why my title is Killing the Dead. And living alive, um, and and I want to I want to use a very basic example to help us understand what is the positioning that that Paul is explaining to us, and I think it's really important that we we get this before we go on to to, to verse five. Um, so a disclaimer: I have nothing against these countries, right? Um, so I'm, I'm just going to use this as an example. If I have a person and he is an Australian, right? This is the country I have nothing against. Um, if, if he is born in Australia, he has an Australian ID document, uh, he's grown up in Australia, and all of a sudden I take him and I remove him out of Australia, and I place him in South Africa, right? And now I give him an a South African ID, a South African passport, 
Is he Australian? No, he's South African because he has a South African ID, right? And, and so the thing is what Paul is basically explaining is he's explaining this shifting of positions, right? And he's explaining the fact that like, okay, so we, we, have, we have grown up in this fact that we have this old self, we have the ways we used to live, the ways we used to be alive too. And Paul is saying that you've died to that. And you've been transferred into the kingdom of heaven. You've been transferred. Now you've been raised to life with Christ. Right? This is South Africa. Um, and, and so now through this, what Paul is saying, there's two things. Two things needs to happen to you. So first of all, in verse 1 to 4, he says, as a South African... You now need to learn how to live like a South African. You need to start braying. You need to start going to Kruger National Park. I'm joking. That's a very, that's a very na- narrow, narrow perspective of South Africa. Um, right? You need to start using the words lacquer and, and how's it. And, right? Um, but and, but he says, so he says that's one thing. You have to start learning how to live like a South African. In the same way, he's saying, great, you have been transferred into the kingdom of heaven. You are now alive with Christ. But now I'm encouraging you, since this is true, since this transfer has happened, now set your mind on things above where Christ is. Now seek the things that are in heaven. That is our perspective in becoming more and more like him who we seek, which is Christ. But then he says there's a second thing, right? He's not discounting the fact that even though you no longer have an Australian ID, you no longer have anything to do with Australia, he's not discounting that fact that you still have habits of Australia, right? And so you can no longer call flip-flops a thong in South Africa. You cannot. It's not okay. You will not find kangaroos in South Africa, right? And so he's saying, he's saying, even though you are South African and you no longer live in Australia, there are things of Australia that you need to let go because the things of Australia will prevent you from becoming fully South African. And in the same way, what he's saying for us is that we have a new living life with God And he's encouraging us to move towards that life with God, to move forward into that life with him. But he's also encouraging us to keep, to be on the lookout for the things that are in our lives that reminds us, that reminds us of the old life. Does that make sense? And so this positioning is really important, right? Yes, we have been transferred, but there are things, there are practices that we need to be aware of. And, and this is where Paul basically kicks into verse 5. And, and so just a, a thing to note here. Remember, Paul's speaking to those who have been risen with Christ, which means he's speaking to Christians, which means he's speaking to us. And so he says in verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore... And I just put in brackets, since you are alive in Christ. It's not there. But that therefore, since you are alive in Christ, since that positioning has happened, put to death. 
And then he says, what is earthly in you? So what is contrary to your new country? What is contrary to your new position? Sexual morality. Um, and I'm just going to read through these things that Paul lists. Um, sexual morality um, is basically it's any sexual activity outside of the marriage covenant. Secondly is impurity. Um, and impurity, like the Greek word of it means, like it's, it's, a, it's a corrupted substance. It's, the best way to almost explain it is like rotten sewage. It's something that becomes worse and worse over time. Like Jesus actually uses this word impurity when he describes the, the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others but within you, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So Jesus is speaking about that corruption, that corruption of heart, that impurity. Next thing he says is passion. So God is not against us being passionate about things. This passion is a distorted passion. So another way of listing this passion is lust. It, it is a passion driven towards the things that are not of the Lord. Um, evil desires, a more general sense um, of, of, of evil or, or of desire which results in evil, and then covetousness, the desire to have more. I know some translations call it greed, but this, this greed can be for material things, it could be for monetary things, it can be for lustful things. And then he goes on in verse 7, and he makes quite a, a striking statement, and he says, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And lying. Um, and I'm not going to explain those too much. I think we all have a general idea of what those mean. Um, but the striking thing for me is Paul saying in verse 7, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. But then again, so Paul, Paul understands and he says that I know and I understand that this is not something that you live in. I know that this is something you used to live in. This is something that, that used to be in your life. But yet, he's encouraging them to put it to death. So, so is he confused? And I want to go back to my story of the tree. Because when I got home, that tree was dead. It was gone. Right? But then, what was interesting, like after a few weeks, after the rain came, all of a sudden, all over, these little shoots started coming up. And I was like, are these weeds? And when I started looking closely, I was like, these are not weeds. And I recognized the pattern of the leaves. And I was like, this is, this is shoots of the old tree. So what was happening? We killed the tree, but we didn't kill the roots. And when Paul's saying, put it to death, he's acknowledging that, yes, you've cut the tree. 
You are no longer living in them. This tree no longer has the presence that it used to have in your life. It's not something that you face and you wrestle with every single day of your life, but it is still something that shows up. And he is encouraging us to put an ax to the roots, to put it to death. And and, and I, I want to put a disclaimer here because th- this is like this is not the easiest message for me to share because I also have a lot of things that need to be put to death. But I think the reality why Paul is sharing this with believers is because he knows that every single one of us have things that needs to be put to death. Um, and, and so my question to you, and it's a difficult question, what are the things that are earthly in you that needs to be put to death? And, and I want to really stress this, like, not what are the things that need to be put to death in your friend or your child, or your parent, or your spouse, like what are the things that need to be put to death in you? Because it's so easy in a message like this to say, I wish this person was here. I wish this person could hear it. And in that way, we've already been distracted. And, you know, when we read that list, like, is, is there sexual habits in our lives that no one knows about, that we hide? Is there anger outbursts that very few people see? Is there, only you and I will know when we covet in our mind. We might not tell anyone. But those are things that need to be put to death, Paul says. And so what needs to be put to death in our lives? What are the areas in our lives where we might have seen great change, we might have seen trees fall, but it's still something you can honestly say like, the tree is no longer there, but every now and then when I go back, I see shoots. I still see things coming up. And Paul says, I'm making this your responsibility to not settle just for the cut tree, but like to settle for the roots to be pulled out. And he says, don't tamper with it, don't test it, don't put it to sleep, don't suppress it. He says, kill it. Don't play with it, kill it. Um, Because there is no place for sexual morality for those who have been risen with Christ. There is no place for for lying and outbursts of anger. They don't belong to those who belong belong to Christ. And and I I don't want you to misunderstand me. Do Christians sin? Yes. I sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. But do Christians live in sin? No. No. We ought not to. Um, and in verse 7, Paul says, In these you two once walked when you were living in them. And so maybe the question is then, like, why 
Why do I walk or why do I still see shoots come up in my life? And why do I sometimes even desire and enjoy the sin in my life when I want to follow Christ and I want to change? And I really want to see transformation in my life. Like, why is this still a thing that I need to wrestle with? And it's because we need a change of our hearts and our desires. And we need to change the things that we seek from earth to heaven. And I want to maybe tell you a story that helped me immensely to really wrestle with this. John Bevere tells a story of a, a friend of his um, that um, got saved, and, and he was a, 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 a hectic chain smoker. Uh, he said he smoked like 20 cigarettes a day. And when he, when he got smoked, oh, not when he got smoked, <laughs> when he got saved, I guess he got smoked. Um, but um, when he got saved, his, the biggest heart desire for him was to be delivered from his habit of smoking. And he prayed and he asked the Lord for this and, and days became weeks and weeks became months. And then one night he took a colleague of his to a prayer meeting and this guy smoked even more than he did. And that night, that guy gets saved. He gives his life to Christ. And in that moment, he gets delivered from smoking. His friend, sorry, not him. And he, he explains how he got into his car, and he is so excited for his friend, but he is furious with God. He is so angry with God. And he says, like, he couldn't wait to get home, and he rushed into his living room, and he just, like, he just let, it, let God have it. And he was like, how unfair. And, and he remember, he came to this question, and he screamed it out, and he said, why haven't you delivered me? And he said in that moment, it's the clearest he's ever heard God speak to him. And it was literally like Jesus was standing next to him, and he heard a voice say to him, because you still like it. And, and there, was a, there was, a real, it was a real thing that really hit me to change the way that I see sin in my life. Because it's something to acknowledge that something is wrong. But it is a different thing to acknowledge that, Lord, my heart still enjoys that sin. I still lean towards that sin. Because... If I understand that there's sin, I'm going to ask the Lord for forgiveness. But if I understand that, Lord, this is a deep heart issue of mine, I'm going to ask the Lord to change my heart. And so how can we change the desires of our hearts? Like, how can we start to process this putting to death the things that are in us, that are earthly? And Paul sort of gives us the answer in verse 9 and 10, and he says, See to it that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And I, I feel so bad like that we, we're focusing on verse 5 and 10, and we can't move to verse 12, where Paul starts describing what are the things we need to put on. Right? So please go read that in your own time. But just, this is just what the Lord wants to wrestle with us around today. But 
the first thing, how do, we, how do we then start putting off? How do we then, if, if you're sitting there and I'm, I'm here and I'm like, Lord, I can see this. This is a problem. What now? So how do we start the process of putting things off? Number one is that humility and that meekness to identify the desires of our hearts. To identify the old self and its practices. You see, if I am not aware that I'm wearing glasses, I will not be aware to take it off. I can't take it off because I'm not aware that I'm wearing it. And so we first need to become aware that what are the things that we are wearing that needs to be put off. Um, I, I spoke to a friend of mine yesterday and he said to me at some stage he did a, an exercise uh, where he wrote down all the sin in his life. And he, he said to me, it was quite striking that he knew exactly what they were. He said the most striking thing was he could justify each and every single one of them. Um, and so a part of this identifying the desires of our hearts is also leaving our justification aside. And that's where the humility comes. Losing the excuses and acknowledging that, Lord, this is a practice that does not belong in my position with you, living a new life with you. It's not a part of, it should not be a part of my life. Like, David actually says this in Psalm 19, and he realizes this. He says, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? And he says, cleanse me from these hidden faults and keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. So Paul understands that there are hidden things which we do not know. There are things that lurk in our heart which we are unaware of. But there are also the deliberate sins and so, okay, we've identified, we are aware, Lord, this is where my heart is at. This is what I'm seeking. What now? And now we must repent of it. Um, and I, and I want to say this, repentance is a verb. It's not something we say. It's something we do. Repentance is something you do. Um, last week, um, I can't remember who it was, someone was repenting in the front. They were praying. They said, Lord, I repent. And, and I was sitting behind the drums, and, and I, it really hit me, and I responded to it, and I said, Lord, I, I realize that I'm, I'm guilty of that. And, and Lord, I repent. I'm sorry. And, and when I said that, I heard the Lord say, so you're going to change, right? And, and it, was like, it was like a gut punch because what the Lord revealed to me was like, I totally understood that it was wrong. I understood that it was not in line with, with God's word. I understood that it was sin. But there was not an intention in my heart to change. Because the actual word repentance means to turn and walk away, right? Repentance, the Greek word is metanoia. And it's broken into two parts. Meta is to shift or to change, and that's also where we get the word metamorphosis from. And then noia means mind. 
So repentance literally means a shifting or a changing of mind or perspective. And so when we just come to God and we say, Lord, I'm sorry, and there's no shift, I haven't repented. I have acknowledged my sin, but I'm not planning on changing. Right? And so we have to identify the sin in our lives and then cry out and say, Lord, I repent. I repent. This is not from you. This doesn't represent you, Lord. And we, we heard in the ministry, like, God is so faithful to forgive our sins. He's so faithful to meet us in that place of repentance. And, and so that repentance f- sort of sits in between the putting off and the putting on. And so when we have put off, when we have repented, we still continue repenting as we put on, right? Because in the putting on, as we acknowledge our sin, the first thing what we need to do in order to put on is we need to acknowledge that what is the heavenly thing that we ought to seek in, in replacement of that. What is the thing that my mind need to shift from to, to what does my mind need to shift to? Because otherwise, some, if, if we don't do it that way, it's like here is my old self and here is, here is the Lord and I say, Lord, I repent and we do this. Right? I, I, I'm walking in the direction, but my eyes... My desires, my heart is seeking the old self still. Where repentance has to be this. It's death. It's a cut. Um, and so, what can help us to make that turn? What can help us to, to truly do that, that 180 and, and to be honest with you, the only thing that really can is the gospel. The better understanding of what Christ has done for us. Like Paul says, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And he's already told us what is that image in Colossians 1. He says in verse 15, he says, the son which is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. In verse 19, he continues and says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in his Son, in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. So what is he saying? He's saying we need to realize that that the putting off and the putting on is not free. It comes at a cost. Because verse 6 says, on account of these things, those things we listed, it says the wrath of God is coming. And in verse 7, it says that you too once walked in these things, which means we stand guilty. So then the question is, why have we not experienced God's wrath? If Paul says that God's wrath is coming on account of these. And the reality is because Jesus is the one that drank from the cup of wrath. He is the only one 
that did not need a new body. He's the only one that didn't have an old self to put down. And so he offered up his body for you and I. And so I want us, so when we have this understanding, and I hope this helps us, maybe we can just stand, please. We, we need to understand that, that the putting on of the new self is extremely expensive. That which we get to put on is not we haven't just received it for free. Christ paid for that. But not just that, like he made the way for us to be able to even put it off. Right? And so how much more would we desire to put on the new self if we understand the price that Christ paid for it? And how much more eager would we be to put to death the things that if we know that it's those things that took Christ to the cross? It are those, it, it's those things that made it necessary for him to die because we lived in those things. And he has taken the wrath, which was for us. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.